Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Welcome back to Being the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie. You know, it's funny how people show up. I talk about this all the time. My guests show up out of like the ethernet at exactly the right time with exactly the right subject. And ever since I started this podcast, I wanted to talk about the shit that nobody else wants to talk about, because I think it's important that as women and as human beings, whatever you identify with, that it's important that we talk about the rough stuff because people don't talk about it. It's kind of those things like there's some subjects you just kind of brush under the rug and we're like, Ooh, that's hard to talk about. Today is where the, one of those episodes, we are going to talk about the rough stuff. So uh, trigger warning, I would highly recommend that you listen through it. Because at the end of this podcast and throughout this podcast, I want you to understand that you're heard, that you're seen, that you're not alone with all of this, that this is an important subject that we have to talk about. It is just a non-negotiable. Uh, my guest, I, a friend of mine said, oh my God, Julie, you need to talk to this lady. Look at her Instagram. And I was like, Ooh, okay. And at first I was like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. And I fell into the societal norm of, Ooh, I don't know if we can talk about that. And then I remembered, wait a minute, have you looked in the mirror, Julie? Do we, do you not know that you talk about everything? So my guest today is Janelle Pierce and you know me, I don't introduce people because it always sounds like a dating site, but Janelle and I talked and we both like long walks on the beach and we both like tacos. So there is that. So Janelle, introduce yourself, tell us why you're here, and then I have a question for you. And I am so hungry right now, too. It's like dinner time and tacos, and I like all the tacos, too. Just just the caveat, just heads up, like Taco Bell tacos. I love the street taco, the street, um, what's it called, the streetcar tacos or the... Um, oh, yeah you know, the little vendor tacos, as well as the Mexican restaurant. I mean, any kind of taco I am here for. So yes, my name is Janelle Marie Pierce. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a certified sexuality educator and the executive director of the STI project, a spokesperson for positive singles and adjunct professor. And I just recently took on a new role. I'm the education manager for health HIV. So I wear a lot of hats, but essentially all my work all day long focuses on STIs and STDs. And that is all that I talk about. And all I have talked about for the last 10 years, ad nauseum, most people are kind of sick of hearing about it. So I'm always delighted when someone's like, come and talk to me about STIs, STDs. I'm like, yay, that's exactly what I want to talk about all day. Awesome. Awesome. And it's funny because, so for those that don't know, so STD is sexually transmitted disease. What is STI? STI is sexually transmitted infection. It's the little, it's, it's slightly more current. Um, some folks believe it's less stigmatizing. I would push back a little bit on that because it's really the sexually transmitted component, I believe that carries the heavy stigma. 
but every STD is preceded by an STI. And what I mean by that is in order to have an STD, sexually transmitted disease, you have to have actually noticeable signs and symptoms of disease or of the, of the infection. But we know that the vast majority of all sexually transmitted diseases or infections are asymptomatic. So you would have an STI, a sexually transmitted infection first. And then if you were ever to have signs or symptoms, then it would be technically an STD. So STI is more all encompassing. It includes a lot more infections and it includes all of those that are asymptomatic. And that is the most common symptom of all STIs is no symptom whatsoever. Most people don't even know they have one. I cannot wait to unpack that. So before we start unpacking that, I have a question for you. I ask everybody the same question. So we've all been in the ashes of our lives. This is be the Phoenix of your own life. So we've all been in the ashes of our lives. What is a moment in your life that you were in the ashes? Because I know we've all had more than one. So what's a moment in your life where you were in the ashes and you had to rise and reclaim that divine inner Phoenix? And how has that impacted what you do and who you are now? That is such a good question because there are two really poignant ones that are related. And like, if I, if I were answering this typical of every other interview, I would talk about when I was first diagnosed with herpes, which when I was 16 years old and I spiraled for a long time, experimenting with drugs and alcohol and really, um, and really hiding with drugs and alcohol and um, self-medicating and just trying to not deal with the present at that point in time. So unhealthy coping mechanisms, but actually fast forward, I've had herpes for over 20 years now. My herpes is old enough to drink and go out to bars with us. And so <laughs> um, hang out that together. said, I've Exactly. You know, my herpes is going to drive and, um, and they can, they can be the DD, but anyways, um, I launched the STI project and started doing this work all around STI. It's 10 years ago. So it's been a decade and about five years back, I had another kind of moment in my life where my mental health was struggling and I never thought I would return to this place again. I never thought I would need this kind of psychological help and that I would get to a place where I was truly lost again. And because when I launched the SDI project, I had finally gotten to a place where I felt empowered about who I was and confident and I had self-assurance and I was very aware of where I'd come and how far I had I had grown as an individual that my identity was not wrapped around my infection, my diagnosis whatsoever, and it had nothing to do with that. So I'd gotten to this whole place that I thought, okay, I'm going to be public about my status. I'm going to share my journey so that I can help others and I can bring awareness to this very common, but highly stigmatized issue. And then after doing this work for five years, a lot of things had led up to it, but I found myself yet again in this very um, dark place. And I considered, I, I can, I had suicidal ideation and I sought professional help. I was drinking very heavily again, and I was just really, really lost. And it's beautiful to see that like after seeking professional help and even being a person who professionally helps others and has been doing this for so many years, like I said, I just was really surprised to find myself there again, but it was humbling and eye-opening and helped bring me back to the place in that realization that we all, that our growth is not linear and that our progress does not have to continually move in a specific direction. And we can go backward. And even that in and of itself is so, um, is, is so helpful, I think, for us to continue to remain compassionate and to be able to serve others because it's easy to, and it had gotten easy to meet for me 
I was so far removed from that place of loneliness and loss and shame and fear that I first experienced when I was diagnosed that it was even hard to relate to some extent with some of those people whom I was supposedly supporting because it had been so long since I had felt that way. So it's hard to remember how horrible you can feel when you are in the depths. And, um, and now professionally, it's really helped because I finally got to the place professionally too, where like, I think this is probably how your roommate um, or your friend found me because I started friending and adding people on my social media, all sorts of strangers whom I didn't know, people who were in sexual health education and therapists and stuff like that. And, and my brother asked me, he said, how are you doing this? And I said, I finally to this place where I need to network. I want to grow what I'm doing. I want to serve more people. And I have the fuckets of like, if I ask for, I'm never going to receive a yes if I don't ask. And if I ask and somebody says, why are you friending me? Why are you connecting with me on social media? I don't know you. I'll just say I'm expanding my network. And the worst thing they can say is I don't want to connect. Well, you're a stranger anyway. So it doesn't, it hasn't harmed me at this point. And it's, it's irrelevant. And I've made so many amazing connections. I mean, my social media has grown by just putting myself out there, making videos again and, and saying, I don't care if I look stupid, or I don't care if I'm repeating myself and people get sick of it. I mean, all of those things came from being, feeling horrible about myself all over again. I mean, this is a super long story. So, so sorry y'all <laughs> about it, but it came from being in that place a few years back of like, where am I going? What am I doing with this work? What am I doing with my whole life? And how did I, how could I get even back to this low, low place? And how do I get myself out of it? And, you know, we are our own biggest advocates. And that really was, I mean, it was I had support and resources and, uh, and privilege all wrapped up in that, that helped me to get to where I am now too. But it was really a, a, a place of personal growth that I think I needed to go back to. I needed to go back to that place to realize what it was and how, how to get myself back out of it again so I could help others. So I could really truly take the stuff that I had learned and purpose it in a way that would be useful. And so I've, and I have, I've created a whole bunch of courses, a lot of free resources and stuff that didn't even exist five years ago while I was doing this work. So it's been a really wonderful journey, but um, not easy. I can say it now, like, like, oh yeah, because I'm on the other side of it. But in the midst of it, I didn't know if I was ever going to come out of it. And it's funny because when, when I asked you to be on the podcast, I was like, do I say it or do I not say it? Do I say it or do I not say it? So um, I was diagnosed with herpes back, oh, I was 24 before I got pregnant with my middle son. And I, I identify like it was, it was horrible. Um, my doctor said it was the worst case that he'd ever seen. Um, I spent three days in a bathtub because of the agony and the pain and then, you know, when you're, you're 24 years old and mine was a case of being cheated on, I didn't, all these feelings go through your mind. You're like, I didn't ask for this, you know? And now I asked the doctor, well, I'm like, well, how do I get rid of it? And he's like, Julie, it's never going to be gone. And I'm like, wait. And he's like, so, and you need, and of course I had a male doctor. So there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of compassion. You know, there was that, that judgment piece of it. And I think that that's such a huge part of it is that people don't talk about this because of the stigmatism, because of the, you know, people are listening. You're like, oh my God, Julie just said she had herpes on a podcast. Well, shit, you guys, I talked about my abortion. So, hey, let's, let's just roll with it because I don't know about you, but when I got diagnosed, I thought I was like the only person in the world who had this disease. Yep. 
Oh yeah. And I cannot believe you just said that your doctor said it was the worst case he had ever seen because those words literally were the exact same words that came from my doctor when I was 16 years old. And so, and, and this sets the stage for how you then perceive yourself, your body, your diagnosis, your sexuality, all of that's wrapped up in that. And so if a medical provider who in theory is accustomed to seeing this kind of thing says it's the worst, then now not only are you the grossest, you're the dirtiest, you're the most tainted, the most damaged. I mean, it truly is, is a pivotal and can be very, can, can be a traumatic experience for people who are diagnosed and very often it is. I mean, that's very, that, and the fact that you just said the exact same words, it just, it's maddening. It makes me so angry because this many years later, and even after 10 years of doing this work, we have so much further to go. And what we know about the actual facts around that is the first outbreak is always the worst because your body hasn't developed any antibodies and hasn't started repressing the virus on its own, et cetera. So there's so much actual science that goes into it that really it would only take five to seven minutes of a conversation to even make you feel a little bit better, especially even just the language around that. Like, how is that helpful? How does that serve someone by telling them that but that's the worst version of whatever it is that they have. I mean, what medical purpose does that serve? What psychological purpose does that serve? None. It's projection of stigma. And yeah, how disheartening and frustrating. And But cheers to you for sharing that. And then not only that, but you also then had to peel apart the two, the layers of this because you got it as a result of a non-consensual activity. So I, I like to say like the vast majority of people contract an STI or herpes in particular through consensual behavior or, or even with partners whom they know or that they just are aware there's some level of risk or their partner didn't necessarily know. Like it's not usually malicious, you know, like people have a tendency to want to be able to have that kind of a story. But then at the same time, then you have two things that you have to peel apart from one another because one is a very common infection that happens to the vast majority of all people. You could do everything right and still contract herpes or any other STI. And so many people do, and you could have one partner, you could quote unquote, save yourself for marriage, you know, all of these things that are all projections of the patriarchy and harmful and et cetera, meant to shame us and make us feel bad about something that's very healthy and natural. However, you could do all those things, or you could sleep with tons and tons of people and never contract an infection. Like it's, it's a little bit of a numbers game. It's a little bit of, it just happens to all people. And there's not a lot you can do about it. Like there's risk in everything we do. And so stripping away how to, how to separate that from then I was lied to and my lack of then that changes your trust and your ability to trust in future relationships, your perception of future relationships and your perception of your decision around future. I mean, there's just so much anyhow. Oh my goodness. I could go on and on, but yeah, I mean, I feel you like that's just, it is, it's traumatic. I think that part of the shame of it is that you realize, okay, from now on, Anytime I decide to be intimate with someone, I have to disclose this. Now there's people out there running around doing their thing. Everybody's had their hoe days, no judgment on the hoe days. There's so many people out there though, that don't disclose it. And they don't say anything because of the shame, because of the fear. And, and I have friends of mine who are in the same situation as you and I are in. 
And I personally have had people that are like, you know, when I've disclosed it, been like, Ooh, that's too much for me. I don't want to be involved with someone like you. And I think that that happens a lot more. So then people just really don't say anything because now you have, first of all, we don't like rejection in any form, you know, it, it bruises our ego. So then now we're going to go ahead and say, Oh, but I have this incurable infection. So let's just add some more shit to the pile. And then you, we want someone to say, but I love you anyways. And that fear just comes in of like, oh, I'm going to be rejected. Do you see that a lot with the people that you work with in your foundation? Yeah, it's the number one question that I get left and right. I mean, it's the number one fear. It's number one fear I had. My mom is who brought me home from the doctor's office. And I don't remember this, but I remember the vehicle we traveled back in and my, I just kept saying over and over and over, and no one's ever going to want me again. How, how am I ever going to get married or have kids? And no one will ever want me. No one will ever want me. And it's been so largely untrue. The, the experience has been the exact opposite of nobody's given a fuck about it, but, um, but that's the number one fear because our culture surrounding sexual activity and partnered sexual activity is such that we believe in this idea of um, that everything happens with spontaneity and that's the way and the best way is it's just supposed to, everything's just supposed to happen and it's supposed to be magical and no one's supposed to fart or queef and you're not supposed to, you know, everyone takes their socks off somehow and, um, and no one has BO or hair in weird places. I mean, weird shit that doesn't actually make sense because this is bodies coming together and, and the goal is pleasure ultimately. So, which is really beneficial for us from a psychological and a physical perspective, but that doesn't get talked about in a practical way. And so we're not having conversations at all about, well, you know, what do you want? Or I'm hoping this heads in this direction. Like, what do you think? And I mean, you can have like sexy, fun conversations about this kind of stuff, but people aren't talking about it at all. So then the idea that we're going to have to disclose a status around this adds in some like extra, like now there's going to be a pause. It's not going to be just this magical, you know, spontaneous kind of situation. And those spontaneous situations, I would argue, are less pleasurable because there is all of this unknown and there is less advocating for your needs and your boundaries and what feels good and where you want to head and when you're, when you're done. I mean, none of that is happening. And so you just hope that maybe it's going to happen right. And like, that just doesn't even happen right or, or happen to where you, you feel good about it. And that's the likelihood of that without any communication is so slim to none, which is why so many people are like, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't satisfying at all. And it's because, well, you probably didn't talk about it to begin with, but we're not given not to put the onus and the responsibility on the people who aren't having the conversations. It's the responsibility is on all of us, but it's a cultural thing and that we don't have representation around that. We don't have good examples of how to have this in a practical way, in a fun, flirty way, like how to just chat about sex and our bodies and what we want to do. So then the idea again, about having to have this disclosure conversation petrifies people. But like you said, rejection happens all over the time, all over the place for any number of reasons. And nobody wants to be rejected, but ultimately I love the idea that no, even though we cannot like it at the time and we can totally sit in our feelings and embrace that and be like, that felt shitty that no also is a yes someplace else. Because if one person says no, then somebody else is gonna say yes because somebody else can't say yes if you're being said yes to by someone else. I mean, it's, it's I don't love the whole like, there's a bright side and everything happens for a reason because that can be kind of toxic psychology sometimes because not everything needs to have some 
lovely, like higher reasoning for it. But I do think that there's a way in which to reframe it and to look at it as like, this is an opportunity for me to say, was that person really meant for me anyways? If they, if they couldn't understand or have a communication or they weren't that interested. And usually what the answer is, is if that person says no, when you disclose, they're just not that into you. There's a whole movie about that and a book and things. And I mean, again, it doesn't feel good if you're super into this person and they're not that into you, but that's ultimately what it is. They're just not ready to consider that risk because they really weren't looking for anything that was substantial and not necessarily, this doesn't have to be monogamous or long-term, even like a, a, a good serious hookup um, or even a good casual hookup, the person really wasn't even that invested in that if they're saying no. And so do you want to share your space with that person anyway? It's probably not. I mean, the no still sucks, but it happens less often than most people assume. There's so often that, you know, you, you talk to your girlfriends and, and we don't even tell our girlfriends, like, these are things that we have because there's that stigma. And, and my mom was the one that drove me home as well my mom was an emergency room nurse. So she was like everything medical. And so when, when I learned about sex, it was very clinical. It wasn't this for me, I'm thinking, you know, that you read a romance novel or you read, you know, you watch a Disney movie and then you see this and you're like, Oh, that's how it's supposed to happen. And they just fell into bed and it was just this amazing sex and everybody had orgasms and they're just blissfully happy. And then you do it your first time. You're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, huh. So I, I think that I just won't ever do that again because you're, and then as a parent trying to explain it to your children because of, and I love how you said it earlier, that patriarchal society of you go over to Europe and, and like you go to Amsterdam and these other countries, sex is very open. They talk about it. It's, you know, we don't have, they don't have nicknames. Like they don't call it your penis a wooger. You know, you don't, your vagina is your yes. vagina. It's, it's not your, your, your goonie bits. It's not, you know, they have respect for the body and they understand as human beings that we're going to, we're going to have sex. You know, it's just like that song, you know, we're just like animals and are just like mammals. And, and we have that perception that sex is dirty. And then you throw in the added STI. Well, our whole society is like, well, you know, I'm just going to hide in the dark and, and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to say anything to anybody. What is one of the things that you do that really helps to besides like doing this, I'm so grateful that you're here. And, and, you know, anybody that's listening, that's like, oh my God, I can't believe they're talking about this. We have to talk about this. That's the only way that this is going to become normal. So what does your foundation do to help normalize this conversation? Mostly it's just conversations. The more conversations I have to me, the more that I can reach people. I mean, I'm constantly making TikToks and things that seem repetitive. And I, and I get that all the time of like, how come all you do is talk about herpes? No one cares. Stop, you know, find something else to talk about. Like <laughs> people are so cool. I'll switch to gonorrhea. Animals, but... Let's go. <laughs> Exactly. Like we can talk about HPV today if you like, like, that's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. I got a lot to say about that too. Um, but yeah, it's, and the thing is, is it makes people uncomfortable because it's, it's the last, I call it the last, um, 
bastion of acceptable shaming, STIs are. We know better than to segment someone based on their race, their, their orientation, their abilities. Um, but STI status is still something that people can laugh at. It gets used as punchlines, lazy punchlines on late night television and comedy skits and skits and things. And it's because no one's standing up and saying, wait a minute, like, first of all, that's an old, lame, repeated over and over joke, like nothing happened, nothing stays everything or something, nothing, everything stays in Vegas, except for herpes, that shit will stay with you forever. And that comes with you or herpes is the glitter of STIs. And it's, it's like ugly luggage. Everywhere. It never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that ugly <laughs> set of God. luggage. It never goes away. It's always in the closet. So, you know, all those dumb jokes. You'd yeah. think by now, yes, they're dumb. And I can't even remember them. They're so dumb and unoriginal to me anymore. And they don't impact me in the same way that they used to. Like that really used to get to me. But I'm like, what it is though, is the folks who are throwing those out are using it. It's a, it's a sociological way to gain power from people who don't feel very powerful and who feel powerless in aspects of their lives. And even if these people are folks who have um, who have a lot of privilege. Like I get I get attacked most by white males on TikTok. But these are people who, when you look at their profile, you can tell like they're they're miserable and they're struggling with life. It's not like they're they're wealthy individuals or something. You know, they don't have all the privilege, but they hold some aspects of privilege and they want to keep that very small take or that very small sliver that they have, that little piece of the pie. And there's so much pie to be had. Like, I just hate that people feel like they have to attack someone for something that is, we don't condemn people when they catch the cold or get poison ivy, or if they have a, a tooth infection or like a, um, the, like a, a cavity, you know, and somebody was like, well, cavities aren't contagious. I'm like, yes, they are the bacteria that you can, that you get in your mouth that can cause a cavity gets transmitted when you kiss one another. So yes, it is contagious. And poison ivy is contagious and a cold is contagious. And the only reason we're shaming someone is because it's sexual. And, and like you said too, in other countries, they think Americans are such prudes. We're crazy. We'll talk about sex. We use sex to sell everything, toothpaste and shoelaces, but we don't actually want to talk about it amongst ourselves or the things that can happen that are not ideal. Like an infection isn't ideal. Nobody's running out to get a new infection, but this is just a part of being human. We have pathogens that live on our body, in our body, symbiotically, and sometimes in, a, in, in problematic ways, but we have little bugs in our eyebrows. I mean, this is part of being resilient, but not infallible. And our bodies are susceptible to any manner of things. Like I said earlier, there's risk in everything we do and how we mitigate that risk is up to us and which risks we're willing to consider. But there's a benefit to being sexually active and partnered intimacy and sharing our bodies with someone. And if it weren't I mean, if we just thought that sex was so bad and gross, we'd never procreate. The human race would, wouldn't continue. We'd die out. There's a reason why it feels good. I mean, it's all part of our evolution and people just don't look at it in that kind of a practical way. And they use it as a way to demean someone's character and to make themselves feel better in that space. And ultimately that's really, that's what makes me what helps me over and over again. Like sometimes it makes me mad, but mostly I just feel sorry for the people who attack people with STIs, who use that as a punchline, who say you're dirty or gross or damaged. And everyone's, and I get more positive comments, largely way more positive comments than I do negative, but the hate that I get because it's so in, infrequent, 
I'll utilize it and I'll use it in a video or something and just say, you know, like, this is ridiculous. This is kind of the dumb stuff that comes at me that's repetitive and ridiculous and ignorant. And it means nothing to me, but I know that people that stops people from sharing their status, from disclosing, from wanting to talk about it publicly, because they're very much afraid that that's exactly how the entire perception of society is going to be reflected by that one person. And usually it's not indicative of how everyone else feels. Like everybody, I get the most amazing comments, the most amazing support and people saying, thank you, thank you. You know, just like you are Julie saying, thank you, thank you for doing this work. And there just needs to be more of us and it'll take some time. Like we've got a little ways to go though because people are still pretty crappy about it. You know, it makes it really hard for people who are newly diagnosed. And it is a mental health issue. People are considering they're they're in suicidal ideation, if not considering and or having attempted as a result of having a diagnosis like this. Like that's how serious it can be. Yeah. And and I, I will attest to that. I mean, there there were times that and I've been very open um on this podcast about my mental health and some of the challenges I've had throughout the years. And there have been those times where you just feel so like five years ago, when you went back into that dark place, you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm a successful human being. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Why all of a sudden do I have these thoughts? Why am I all of a sudden going back and like using it as this club to beat the shit out of myself? because there's that part that hasn't healed. There's that part within our heart and within our soul. It's that part of us that just wants to, that part, that primal part of the brain that needs love and acceptance and needs a feeling of belonging. And then when we don't get those feelings, all of a sudden our ego will create things, will create situations and will create all this. It turns into like, I call it the swirling vortex of doom in your head. Where it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh my 100%. God, oh my God. And it's like, oh my God. So I have this and that means nobody's going to want me and I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to get married. And oh my God. So I'm just going to go eat worms and I just might as well kill myself. Mm-hmm. We laugh and we're like, ha, ah. but at the same time, it's a very real thing for women to have this. Do you find that it's harder for women to disclose than men because of the if you're a, if you're a guy and you sleep with a hundred women, then, you know, you're a stud, but if you're a woman and sleep with a hundred guys and you're a whore, which that's got to go right out the fucking window. Do you find that that happens a lot more though with women than men? That's a really good question. I've actually heard it the other way around. So what you're talking about is what they call like the double bind media messages. And so in, in our, like our sociological, in a, in a sociology class, they'll talk to you about how, how, and this, this is true for women, how just how much it sucks to be a woman, because you, you're damned if you do damned, if you don't, essentially, if you are saving yourself for marriage, quote unquote, um, which there's no such thing as virginity, that's a social construct. But anyhow, if that's your mindset and you're doing that, then you are a prude and um, you're inexperienced and you're naive. And so all not, not good things, but then if you are enjoying activities with partners and just expressing your sexuality, however you'd like to, by engaging with, with other partners, then you're a whore, you're dirty, you're trashy, you're slutty, et cetera. And so you can't win for trying. And, um, so it would seem that way, but what I hear is kind of the, 
the, the socialization of men versus women when we're just talking the binary is that because men have a harder time approaching and having sexual activities or, or engaging and in, in getting yeses as often that them disclosing is harder. So that's, that's what I've heard anecdotally. I don't really know for sure. I've, it's never been studied, but I hear this from men a lot that they have a lot more, they receive a lot more rejection when they disclose that they have herpes in particular than um, women who disclose like women get all sorts of yeses. Guys are just excited to get in bed with people. If, uh, you know, if they're, if they're engaging with opposite sex, with the opposite um, gendered identity, that's that is the anecdotal experience that it's easier for women to find people that are going to say yes, especially if they're they're cisgender and heterosexual, than it is for men who are cisgender and heterosexual. But I don't know. I don't know that it's that stark of a of a disconnect. I think. It depends on the person, the type of relationship, the type of communication, where you're at in your life too. your age plays a difference sometimes and, and not necessarily just age, just like emotional maturity around dating and communicating and things like that. And sometimes it's just not working because of the energy around the relationships and what's being pursued and whether or not even those people were meant for you. Like it's not necessarily a fault, but it's um, there's more to it than just like, everyone's just going to keep saying no, because people aren't just going to keep saying no, like there will be tons and tons of people to say, yes, I've actually never experienced rejection as a result of disclosing and have had many, many, many partners over the years. And, um, in every single one of them, no, this isn't always everyone's experience. Of course, rejection definitely happens, which is why I talk to and speak to like how to prepare yourself. It helps. Cause I'm slightly biased of like, I, I have all of these good experiences to kind of keep propelling me in that direction and feeling confident, but I think you can even get diagnosed and feel fairly confident because who you are hasn't changed as a result of the status. It doesn't change your value. It doesn't change what you bring to a relationship. It doesn't change what you, um, what you are worth in a relationship and how, and how, what quality of relationship you deserve. Like none of that changes. None of that changes when we get a tooth infection, when we need a cavity filled, none of that changes when we catch the cold or when we get poison ivy. So why would that change when we get herpes? And so that perception is flawed. And like that vortex that you're talking about, we can get stuck happily fulfilling our confirmation bias. And what makes it so hard to unlearn this, the shame the, the fear around, uh, especially anything related to sexual shame is because it usually originates very young and is part of our early, our early development throughout our adolescence, our formative years and unlearning stuff that we gain during that point in time in our development and our lifespan is usually really hard to unravel because it's connected to so many things that are part of our overall identity and how we view ourselves and our life as a whole and people as a whole. And so it takes time but it's not impossible. And once you do, you realize like, oh, I'm, I am, I'm spinning in this space and I'm just repeating what I want to be true. Even if it's negative sometimes, because that's the safe thing, this negative belief that I am accustomed to, that I have grown up with, that I gained at some point in time in some harmful way from whomever peers, church, media, I mean, what name, what have you education, all of the above, um, now that's, what's my found, my foundation. And that's what I've 
carried with me all these years. So getting rid of that and having to come up with something new that that is this new way of believing is scary. It's it's a change. It's unfamiliar. And so we want to confirm this bias that we have about ourselves and anything that then when we have confirmation bias, so we have these negative core beliefs about ourselves that we gained in early in our early development and anything that then supports that we're like yeah see there's evidence there's the evidence of like i'm a piece of shit i'm crap you know this one person doesn't want to move forward because i told them i had herpes so that's evidence that i'm bad as a whole nobody will ever want me and all of this is very illogical like our emotions that are attached to it are valid but they're not necessarily representative of the reality that's going to continue if we don't allow it to so we have some of that we have the power is really in us most of the time to make the decision around how we want to view it, but it's not, that's an easier said than done type of thing. Right. So talking about, you brought up a really good point and I would love to know, I mean, we, you and I both know that sex ed sucks in the United States. I mean, pretty much as a mom, I remember telling my son and and y'all are going to laugh at this is I remember telling my son that you know, Mr. Happy goes to visit Mrs. Happy and he gets so excited he throws up. And that was my definition of sex. So, <laughs> oh, that poor kid. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> sex ed is, is one of those things that's severely lacking because of that quote unquote prudishness. How do you help the women that need to disclose? And if there's anybody that's listening, that's like, oh my God, I've never told anybody how, how do, what's a good way to disclose? I mean, how do you disclose? Because sometimes you, you hook up and you're right about there and you're like, oh shit, I got to tell them all about that. That's like throwing cold water, you know, just might as well throw it in a cold shower. The fire's gone. What's a good way to disclose? How can you do it empowered instead of from the victim side? Yes. Oh, I love that from the victim side instead of from the victim side. Well, Part of it is, again, the reframing of it feels like you're going to be throwing cold water on this potential hookup, but we're forgetting. And again, this is that confirmation bias that we're forgetting that we're sharing something that's intimate and sensitive about ourselves, but everyone has a bazillion intimate and sensitive things about themselves that they're not necessarily proud of, or they have some shame around, or they're afraid to share, or it doesn't, it, it, it it oftentimes is like a yellow flag for someone. I mean, there's so many different things and having that conversation is not a, I like to say, it's not an admonition of guilt or shame. You're not, you're not admitting to something horrible about yourself. You're opening the door for a conversation and a mutual reciprocal conversation that is that goes multiple ways. It's not just you sharing something, but if you're sharing something, you are also looking to receive information because your health, your status, the risk that you're taking by engaging in this potential hookup is just as valid as the risk that they are potentially engaging in because there's an unknown risk for, for them, whether or not they've been tested, whether whether they know what their status is. Most people don't. Most people haven't been tested. Most people are asymptomatic dramatic, have no idea that they have an infection. So you're looking to receive information. The onus always gets placed upon, again, this is a cultural societal thing, the onus and responsibility, the verbiage around it in all of the all of the messaging is like, you have to disclose, you absolutely do before putting someone at risk. And yes, ethically, 
you want to have a conversation before engaging in activities, whether you tell them up front on your dating profile, the first time you ever have a conversation, or you wait until you've established some level of trust and you can see the relationship heading in that direction, that's entirely up to you. And it might change per relationship, per individual, per relationship. So that's gonna be up to the individual, but from there, you want to receive information. I think that's the key is that you're, you're sharing something and it can be framed as like a, Hey, like before we go forward, like I'm so into this, but I want to have this conversation because this is really important to me. I learned that I have herpes and, um, a while back and whatever you want to share around that. And so now I always ask about status and when someone was tested and whether or not we want to use barriers so on and so forth. So, you know, like, let's have a quick pause and talk about that. When were you last tested? I mean, there's a, you can do it casual. You can do it in a short, quick, succinct kind of way. Um, but you want information. What are your boundaries? Like, are we headed in that? Like, are you feeling this? Cause I'm feeling this. I mean, you can do it in whatever language is authentic for you. That's still sexy, fun, and flirty. And even if you feel awkward, being awkward and being vulnerable, vulnerability breeds intimacy. So that builds connection. So you can't build a connection if you don't open yourself up a little bit, which is hard because we're not, again, another cultural thing. Our culture sucks. <laughs> we, I need to move to Amsterdam, but if, but we're not given a lot of, we're, we're told not to take risks or we're, we're not shown like that. It's it's cool to be vulnerable. It's cool to be emotional. It's cool to take, um, not to take risks necessarily, but to be vulnerable. We don't, vulnerability is shunned in our society and being vulnerable and having a vulnerable moment is looked at in a, in a, in a way of, of weakness, but it's actually strength to be able to confidently share. And it can be very empowering to share something in a matter of fact way. And also to then be the receiver of information because then that person feels safe and can share with you something that they may need to disclose because usually people do have something in return that they wanna talk about too. Um, and it could be any manner of things and that might be your deal breaker. It might not be you, the one that they're saying no to. You might have to say no because it's not gonna fit because they have no idea what their status is. They've never been tested and someone who already has one STI is more likely to contract another. So someone who is disclosing there are three different risks that you're in that you're undertaking at one point in time when you're deciding to engage with another partner. It's a physical risk that you could contract another infection. There's an emotional risk, of course, with all relationships. And then there's a legal risk, but a legal risk then gets eliminated once you disclose. And so that's good to know um, at that point in time. So those are all considerations. And I care, the reason I care about disclosure, one, because I didn't always do it right and or didn't always do it ethically, I should say, not necessarily right there's no right or wrong way necessarily but there's an ethical way in which to do it and I didn't always tell people before putting them at risk so I talk very openly about that on my website and have in the past on purpose because I figure we can't improve upon and or fix a problem if we don't admit that it exists to begin with and there are so many people like myself who aren't total shit humans you can do something crappy and even something crappy to another person and not be wholly crappy yourself. Like we just sometimes do bad things and don't know the way in which to do it. So how do we do this practically? How do we talk about it in a way that feels affirming and supportive and empowering? And then at the end of the day, then we receive whatever response that they have to give. Now that said, no one deserves a response that's not compassionate, that's cruel or unkind. And the moment you receive that kind of response, run, run, throw that in the trash and run. <laughs> so, that, no one and deserves it, that. 
Yeah. And it's funny because I've been, I've had that happen and it's just like that instant, like what? And, and mm-hmm. you just now looking back, I was like, well, you're just a piece of shit human being. So I didn't want you anyways. It probably was the size of my pinky and, and who cares? And it's, <laughs> you know, those are, those are the things you justify with, you know, for feeling that rejection. So yeah. I, oh my gosh, I've like a thousand questions for you and I'm looking at the clock going, fuck, it cannot be already time to, to wrap this up. So number one, would you be willing to come back and have another conversation? Of course. Okay, good. Um, and number two, so I have a question for you. I ask everybody this question. So for the person who's listening, who's like, okay, so Janelle and Julie, you guys are at this point where you're laughing and you feel pretty good about it and you've come to terms with it. Maybe they've are sitting in that pit. They're in the shit pit and full of shame and guilt and all of that. What would you say to the person that's listening that just is in that swirling vortex of doom and doesn't know what to do? I think the first thing is to stop beating yourself up for feeling like shit and Um, because it's okay to feel shitty and it's okay to be in a space for a minute that is really awful and to not know where your next steps are, what those are going to look like, because we get told to just be happy and to figure it out and to like, um, have a solution all the time and you don't always. And so I think it's okay to acknowledge those feelings and where that's coming from in your body and to like step in touch with your body a little bit, as well as. Um, yeah, is honoring that that's, those are valid feelings and it's the result of your experience and it's going to inform things going forward that will be beneficial knowledge. You can't unlearn what you've learned. So how can you use that in a way that serves you moving forward? That can be a question, um, in your mind. And I think to, yeah, I just keep wanting to go back to like Netflix and chill, buy some ice cream. I don't care. Get some French fries. Like, (laughs) go for a workout, do something healthy, do or not healthy. I don't really care. Do something that feels good for you. That is outside of hyper-focusing on how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do next? What about these symptoms? And then I think, take it one step at a time, figuring out the physical is, is, is the first step of like, how do I want to manage these symptoms and treat and knowing that whatever you decide right now, doesn't have to be your forever answer. You're not stuck to always taking a pill for the rest of your life, unless you choose to. And there may be reasons that support that for you. That is, is a good solution. It may not be. And that's only every person is going to be individual and unique in that experience. And then, and then work on kind of processing. And that takes, that takes a lot of time and it's okay, but you're your own best advocate. Like there's resources like mine and like Julie's podcast that are empowering out there. And so I'm so glad you're listening and you found it and you found us, um, take those individually as you have space for them. Like, don't forget to be you and to enjoy the things in your life that bring you joy, your family and your friends and your animals and your hobbies and whatever it is that you enjoy doing. And maybe it is Netflix. And I love that. And so I support at highest of fives to that and do it and then circle back as you have the capacity to work through the process of like unlearning that shame and stigma, because we all have to, we all have some, almost every single person has experienced sexual shame of some capacity and it is a lifelong process. So the growth is forever and it's a constant, it's a constant work in progress. And so it's okay to be like a little bit messy sometimes. I love that. That is so perfect. 
So how do people find you? Easiest way is um, on any social media. I'm at the STI project and um, also the stiproject.com is my website. So keep the the in there. A lot of people don't put the the in. Um, and, but other than that, yeah, any, anywhere, reach out, come follow, come find. Um, I have free workshops and paid resources as well, but tons and tons of free stuff. So it's very accessible, lots of content and on any platform, wherever you, wherever you absorb media. Awesome. I'm going to have to, and it's so funny because I follow you on Instagram now, and, and now I'm going to go find you on the Tiki Talkie because that's, that's like my new favorite obsession. It's like you, you start, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch one video. And then like Four hours later, you look, you look like the abominable snowman. You're like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, I'm buried in Tiki Doggy. <laughs> so, oh yeah, your eyes are cross-eyed. And like, when you try and focus your eyes on something else far away, it's goofy. And <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I've been staring at my screen way too long. This is ridiculous. Way too long. Way too long. And you're like, oh my God, I should have been in bed four hours ago, but I've just got this one last cat video. It's so good. Um, so- <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you so much for number one, for coming on and having this conversation. And number two, for saying that you will come back because I think that there's so much more to impact, to unpack. And for those that are listening, please reach out, please, please, please. If you are on Apple, you can leave a comment. Y'all know me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Follow Janelle at the stiproject.com. I would love to know what do you want to unpack on the next episode? Because this one was pretty heavily focused on herpes. And I know that there is like so much information out there that we just couldn't get to it in, in an hour. So tell us what you want to hear about. And if you really love this episode, like it, share it. It's so important to have this conversation. Any last thoughts, Janelle? No, I'm just so glad that you invited me. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege. I'm just so, so delighted for anyone who's listening. Like, thank you for your time. Awesome. And as I say, and especially with this, this conversation today is, is I want you to understand, I say this every single week and I'm never, never, never going to stop saying it. You're enough exactly as you are. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too thin. You're not too fat. You're not too light. You're not too dark. You're not too he, you're not too she, you're not, you're not too much of anything. You are perfect as you sit. You are stardust, divinity, and magic wrapped up in a human experience. And if you could only see the divine light that shines back from your eyes, I promise you, you would never, ever, ever doubt your greatness again. And with that, my friends, thank you for taking your time. It's an honor to be in your ears. Have an amazing rest of your day, evening or morning, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired, and if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much, and have an absolutely magical day.